Hello everyone, here's what's bothering me today. It is both Sunday and Halloween, so I have compiled the scariest and spookiest stories for our enjoyment and our horror on this most hallowed evening. Welcome to the Sunday Sum Up. That's right, everyone. Welcome to the uh, very unusual version of the Sunday Sum Up, which is also going to be a absolute bonanza. I hope everyone also appreciates my delightful costume, because uh, I don't know if you can tell, but uh, I'm a YouTuber. Like and subscribe for more terrible content. And even though I know I already have the best costume because I'm a YouTuber, come on. Let's see what some of my internet friends are doing for Halloween in their costumes. Left of the Box is a superhero this Halloween. She masks up and saves lives. Aranok is looking fabulous as always. So, so does that really count then? I don't know. Let me know in the comment section down below. Mainly Mandy went as Lady Dimitrescu from Resident Evil Village. Little Hoot went as a very convincing Anne Boleyn. We're in Hell is a Dictator. I respect a fellow person who loves the puns. Katie Montgomery went as a little mushroom pixie. Maya Ben David went as a cute bunny. And John the Duncan went as Loki. These are all some pretty solid and very well done and hilarious costumes. Which one's your favorite? Let me know in the comment section down below. I'm a YouTuber, remember? I'm doing the YouTube things. And so of course it wouldn't be the Sunday sum up without some really just horrifying and terrifying stories from around the world. So why don't we delve into those a little bit on this most spooky of nights. Now, fair warning, this first story has mentions of sexual assault. So uh, trigger warning for that. Our first horrifying story comes from across the pond. There, monsters lie deep behind the mists of England. One such monster took the form of a man, and he preyed upon women. But even worse, he was restored to his political party. Even after it had been proven that he sexually assaulted a staffer. That's right, people. A former Tory MP in Britain named Rob Roberts can rejoin the party even after sexually harassing a staffer. A disgraced conservative MP will be allowed to rejoin the party on Monday despite an independent investigation finding that he sexually harassed a junior member of staff. Now, while he's again, like he's having his membership restored, but he, he still isn't having what's known as the whip restored to him, meaning he has to sit as an independent rather than a conservative or a Tory party MP. But that's still really messed up in that basically after a three month suspension, and that suspension was for a very valid and just egregious criminal offense, by the way, this dude is allowed to return to work. What's that thing about like monsters walk among us or something like that? Our next terrifying story takes place in an ancient land of the Vikings. Imagine if you will, leaving a dangerous land and fleeing nearly halfway around the world to find safety and respite. Only then for the host that took you in to send you back. That's right, folks. Supposedly nice and progressive Denmark is actually sending Syrian refugees back to Syria, even though it's not exactly safe for them, either in terms of the status of the country, let alone politically for them to do so. 
And nowhere is this more heartbreaking to see than in the following picture. Syrian refugee Asma al-Natur bids farewell to her Danish neighbor after the Danish authorities forced her to leave her home and sent her to deportation camps. You know, the thing about uh, being a refugee is that you may decide to stay in your newfound country out of love for them taking you in and giving you safety and shelter. But no, instead, Denmark has deportation camps where they're sending people in preparation to deport them back to despotic regimes in unsafe countries. Because no, look, see, our, our refugee uh, settlements were really only meant to be temporary. What do you mean permanent residency? Of course not. I fucking hate this timeline. And as much as the whole background to this is so horrifying, I can't help but, you know, look at that picture and just see her tears and it's just like it's all frustrating but it's also just so sad because you know it doesn't need to happen right like i said this is uh these are all horrifying stories which i guess means we're on to the next one now we move to america the most terrifying land of all a true horror story imagine if you will spending money you don't have to go into a deep debt and you study and all the pressures and all the expectations are upon you and you go and you find that your dormitory has no windows and it has been deliberately built that way lest you see any real light and hope for the future. Like, I wish I was making this stuff up, but unfortunately I'm not, and that's the horrifying part. You heard it right, folks. Apparently Warren Buffett's billionaire partner bankrolled a windowless dorm, and it resulted in an architect quitting. Billionaire Charlie Munger is bankrolling the design of a massive dormitory at the University of California, Santa Barbara. The $1.5 billion project comes with a major catch. 94% of the dorm's single occupancy rooms are in the interior of the building and have no windows. So yeah, no wonder the architect quit in protest. Now, here's the thing, right? Yes, there are windows on the building, but those are only for the common areas, which as you can see, even in the plans here are relatively small and narrow. They're trying to maximize the number of students they can fit into this area, all with windowless dorms, which is like, why? I mean, okay, we know why, but I mean, outside of the shitty justification of capitalism, why do this? Yeah, the architect honestly had the uh, best answer to this. The basic concept of Munger Hall as a place for students to live is unsupportable from my perspective as an architect, a parent, and a human being. Like that is just, mwah. But really, what kind of horrifying world are these people living in where they decide that this is perfectly okay. Yeah, I know, who, who needs natural light, am I right? Don't just tax the rich, eat the rich. Anyway, onto the next horrifying story that is actually real life. And now it's time for yet another delightfully scary story. Imagine if you will, a world, a dark and terrifying world where up is down and down is up and secret police are known as undercover cops 
and gulags are rebranded as prison labor so that you can slap a Made in America sticker on it. Oligarchs are known falsely as entrepreneurs, and brutal crackdown on dissent is known as riot control and a necessary function of civilized society. Such a horrifying world that would be. Yeah, you ever notice how America seems to have really messed up terminology for what, if they saw happening in other countries, would be more than enough of a call to intervene militarily in their affairs? We don't have a violent secret police, we have undercover cops, that's totally different. Kulags, those are something terrible that only the Soviet Union and communist countries have. We don't have work camps. Instead, we have nice, lovely prison labor which allows us to stick a Made in America sticker on stuff to make us feel pride in buying American even though it's basically slave labor. And we practically worship the ground that people like Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, and Elon Musk walk on. Because, don't you know, instead of just buying things up and getting really lucky, they're totally visionaries and entrepreneurs and the men who will lead us to the stars. Stop worshipping your oppressors. But it is very telling that America, with one hand, loves to condemn police brutality in other countries, yet will find any justification for its own police brutality within its borders. Like and subscribe as you're as done with this bullshit as I am. But the horror does not stop there. Oh, no, no, no. Imagine, even worse than these lands of horrors, imagine a world where people openly cheer for domestic terrorists. To the stopping of the ballot counting and the resuming of the ballot county at 3.30 in the morning, to the days that followed where all of a sudden it felt like they were just finding more ballots in every single direction, we look at this and we say, wow, we know they hated Donald Trump, but we did not know, or we were taken by surprise, or we were not ready for what they were willing to do. Tyranny. When do we get to use the guns? No, and I'm, and, I, and I'm not, that's not a joke. I'm not saying it like that. I mean, literally, where's the line? How many elections are they going to steal before we kill these people? So, no. I, I, I... Now, credit where credit is due. At the end of that clip, you can clearly tell that Charlie Kirk is, you know, he's beginning to push back against that. But um, it's kind of wild and also very telling that the audience that went to go support Chucky Boy here also decided to openly cheer a domestic terrorist who, again, had to, you know, say, just in case people were mistaken with clapping, no, 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 by the way, I'm not joking, I totally want to kill my fellow Americans over this weird, like, lie and ideal that I have in my head. I worry and fear for the future of America. Like, dude seriously wants to gun down the people who supposedly stole the election. Like, hello? Dude, give your head a shake. You clearly don't actually believe in democracy. Then again, the media that he consumes more than likely is not the kind of stuff that is friendly to differing opinions. It's just so wild and unfortunate that we're at a point where many, hundreds to thousands, will fill up a room and openly cheer for someone calling for open violence against their fellow Americans because something that they don't like happened. Which, hey, while everyone's here, don't forget to see yesterday's video all about the ways in which uh, this is part of a trend of conservatives increasingly rejecting democracy and the rule of law. We live in the fun timeline! But now, a quick word from our sponsor. 
Today's video sponsor, as in I'm sponsoring their content, they are in no way sponsoring me, so let's just get that very clear, is 12-Foot Ladder. 12-Foot Ladder is an anti-paywall service, which, as the title here shows, show me a 10-foot paywall, I'll show you a 12-Foot Ladder. 12-Foot Ladder is basically a way to get around any paywall. Because, you know, for places like whatever it is, the Washington Post or the New York Times who loves to say democracy dies in darkness, a lot of good journalism and interesting pieces are hidden behind paywalls. And while somewhat understandable, it definitely makes accessibility a really huge problem. Meanwhile, the easy to digest stuff that comes from, again, lying sites on the internet, that's what unfortunately a lot of people, especially on the right, will consume. And so in that sense, being able to get around paywalls is very much a good thing. So how does that work? The idea is pretty simple. News sites want Google to index their content so it shows up in search results, so they don't show a paywall to the Google crawler. We benefit from this because the Google crawler will cache a copy of the site every time it crawls it. All we do is show you that cached, unpaywalled version of the page. And again, really want to stress here, no, they are not actually sponsoring me. This is more me sponsoring them because I think it's a really good idea. And there are yet more horrors to come, my ghouls and ghoulettes. Have you ever heard the tale of someone who got a rattlesnake bite and fell over $150,000 in debt? Yep, that's right. Someone got bit by a rattlesnake and then proceeded to become over $150,000 in debt. Let's break down their medical bill, shall we? I'm sure it's completely justifiable. So, the summary of patient services, pharmacy, $83,341.25, laboratory services, $22,433, intermediate care room, $21,225, intensive care room, $17,766, emergency care services, $5,564, therapy services, $1,423, radiology, $947, special services, $462. All for a lovely total charge of $153,161.25. Oh, and as if that weren't horrifying enough, pay attention to the very bottom of the bill. Adjustments, $0. Insurance payments, $0. Patient payments, $0. Due from insurance, $0. This person is stuck with over $153,000 of debt because they were bitten by a rattlesnake. Like, that is just so absolutely wild to me. And then moving to the cold and snowy north. Oh, Canada, on indigenous land, full of dark and malicious spirits. The horrifying fact from this fabled land is that even though marijuana has become legalized, less than 500 people have had their records expunged for marijuana use leaving thousands upon thousands to rot and fester in jail yep you heard that right folks that is an unfortunately very true thing that has happened here north of the border even though weed has been legal for you know a while now only 484 marijuana pardons have been granted since the program started in 2019, and as NDP MP Don Davies rightly points out, pot convictions stigmatize and hurt marginalized Canadians the most, young, indigenous, and BIPOC. Parliament should expunge these records as a matter of basic justice and equality. Weed has been legal for like six years now, and yet 
letting people out of jail for minor marijuana offenses is still not something that's happened. Don't you just love living in good old progressive Canada? Seriously, less than 500 pardons have been granted in the two years since this program started and even then the program had to be pressured for by civil rights activists. It's just unfortunately not surprising but still deeply disappointing. But hey folks, we're nowhere near done with all the horrifying stories from everywhere. But by far the scariest story from this land? In the land of Ontario, housing prices jumped 22% in a single year. Shout out to Brandon on Twitter for making this tweet, cause uh, yeah, housing prices in Ontario have gone up 22% this year. Ooh. I am very funny. All the more reason for you to like and subscribe. Is this getting obnoxious enough yet? I only ask because I find most really big YouTubers to be obnoxious. But to be serious for a moment here, that's a very serious problem when housing prices, again, during a goddamn global pandemic, jumped 22% in a single year in a single Canadian province. Maybe the housing crisis is a crisis and our governments at all levels should do meaningful action to fix it or something. How are people who don't already have a bunch of capital or access to just a ridiculous amount of liquidity supposed to enter the housing market? And also, it's not like rents are going down, right? Rents are still going up. I think I recall reading a piece somewhere recently or just like seeing a headline for it that uh, some people were renting like homes or apartments for $2,900 a month. Like every day, I just kind of want to bugger off to a trailer in the middle of the woods and just scream. Ontario is the most populous province in Canada, and so the housing crisis is very acutely felt here. And not just in places you would just completely accept it as a reality of living such as Toronto and the GTA, it's spreading far now. Housing prices are becoming so unaffordable, even in like Northern Ontario, that there's really only one affordable city in this province left, and that is Sudbury. It's such a serious problem, and we're not going to see meaningful action from the provincial conservatives led by Doug Ford, nor are we apparently seeing any real action from Mr. I actually really care, you have to believe me, Justin Trudeau in the federal sphere. Wages aren't rising, the cost of living is rising, and house prices are skyrocketing. This is not a recipe for success, and governments would be wise to understand this. But we're coming up on the end of the stories here. And though all these stories are terrifying, oh my beloved, I have saved the most terrifying story for last. The reality of life under capitalism is far scarier than any horror movie or mythical monster. Wow, yeah. Yeah, that's just the dark truth, isn't it? Life under capitalism is far scarier than any movie. And I think that's part of why, for example, Squid Game was so popular and relevant to so many people. We looked at this and saw, oh yeah, wow, no, that's totally a parable for the capitalist exploitation. I totally get it. And then again, to really hone in on the horrifying reality, there's the creator of Squid Game telling people, let me be clear, this is a parable for capitalist exploitation. And we had conservative chuckle fucks on the internet say, 
actually no. Like, excuse me while I scream. <laughs> like, it is just so wild to see these people try and defend the indefensible. And I hope that came across in these stories. These were very real stories during a very real week that are affecting very real people. A jackass, a scumbag, sexual assaulting jackass got his job back after a pathetic three month absence. Even after again, that was well documented. Sending innocent people to deportation camps to deport them back to countries that are unsafe. Deliberately building dormitories with no windows in it for the sake of efficiency. Happily criticizing other nations for terrible and offensive things while having no self-awareness that the very same happens in your own country. Becoming bankrupt from a snake bite. Legalizing weed and yet keeping thousands upon thousands in prison for marijuana related offenses. The rising unaffordability of everything and the depression of wages. All these stories and more are actually happening. These are not horror stories that we tell our children to keep them in line. These are very real things affecting very real people. And yet there's still so many who defend this legitimately horrifying system. For all the terrifying and scary stories and video games that we produce, nothing holds a candle to the casually cruel and evil and genuine horror of the capitalist system we are forced to live in and participate in every day. And that is what's bothering me today.